So as we look at this chapter, Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul is saying, I have not arrived to this point where I want to be. He said, but I'm forgetting those things which have happened before. And I'm not going to let those things that have happened in the past to trip me up today. And I'm going to strain forward to those things which God has laying await for me ahead. Paul, Paul is saying, I'm not going to allow my past to impact my future. And so I think if we look back at last year, I think there's a lot of people that make resolutions. Um, I call them something a little different, but uh, every year you hear people making resolutions. And here's a few statistics that are kind of interesting. Last year, 2015, and I got these statistics from Pastor Schaller. So if you were at the... At the um, New Year's service in Baltimore, you're gonna, some of this is going to sound a little familiar. 45% of Americans make, make New Year's resolutions. That's almost half. Most common, 47% resolve to self-improvement. 38% to losing weight. 34% money issues. 31% relationship issues. I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be a better family member. Out of 3,000 people polled, 21% made a resolution that they would leave their job and find a new one. But listen to this. Can I get a tissue? After six months, after six months, half were still keeping it. And by the end of the year, guess what? 8%, 8%, only 8% kept it for the whole year. <laughs> I got everyone thank you very much. Hold on. Thanks. 8% kept it. I don't know how many of you in the room here today are part of the 8%. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I don't personally, I don't want to sound weird or I don't want to sound, you know, weird. But I don't make these kind of resolutions because our world, as a Christian is bigger than just losing weight or improving myself. Our world as a Christian is much, much bigger. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. The things that we think about as a Christian are much, much bigger. I mean, those are our goals. And the point, to, the, the point that's important to remember is, is that we are already all that we are supposed to be in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. You and I are complete in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And when a person makes a resolution from the motivation of a deficit motivation that I am not this yet, and so I've got to beat myself up and beat myself into a, a place where I can be acceptable to myself, then I think that's the wrong kind of motivation. We've got to start from this. If we want to see change and growth, and we've got to start from this perspective that we already are everything that we are supposed to be in Christ. We are not waking up in the morning as deficit creatures, as people that are sorry, sorry souls that don't have what it takes to make it happen. You and I are already equipped with everything that we need in Jesus Christ. And so when we start from that, we just begin to live by faith in that finished work. We wake up in the morning, we say, I'm everything that I'm supposed to be. I am in Christ and everything in Christ, I have all uh, I have all that pertains to life and godliness, as the, as the Apostle Peter said. And, we, and when, we, when we fail, that's, we just say, you know what? That's not who I am. 
we fall down and we stumble. We're all going to do that. You know, I think the fir- after the first six days, most people's New Year's resolutions are broken. And when we fall down, we have to remember rebound. We just get back up. We just say, you know what? That's not who I am. I'm rebounding out of that. This nasty, angry person, that's not who I am. This depressed, sad, moody person, that's not who I am. I'm going to rebound into the grace of God. Because our, what we're looking at is much bigger than self and self-improvement and, and uh, human endeavor. And so I just want to tell you something, and maybe you know this. If you're a leader or a dad or someone that is in some way a leadership position, goals and programs don't necessarily motivate people. You know? Some of us are very goal-oriented and very, like, whoa, program-oriented. And I'm, I think I'm one of those kind of people. I like lists of things, you know, like projects, you know, like that. It drives people crazy sometimes. But that doesn't necessarily motivate people. And actually it can put some people under a heavy burden. And, and, you know, sometimes when you have a new year, a church will roll out all of these things, like this is what we're going to do this year, and this is what we're going to change, and this is what's going to happen, and... That doesn't necessarily motivate it. You know what motivates you and I? When we know and abide in who we are in Jesus Christ and not the history of the flesh. You know, when you live in the history of your flesh, that's not inspiring. Or when you're living in the consciousness of your failures and say, I'm going to change myself, that's not motivating either. What inspires us is when we know and abide in who we are in already in Jesus Christ. And I love that because... When we do that, when we begin to abide and meditate on who you and I, that we are called by God, that we're called by God, then inspiration comes in and we have capacity to have not resolutions, but faith goals and faith dreams. And I think that this is a great time of year to have a faith goal and a faith dream for our church and for our, for our families and for our individual and for our businesses and for our health, and for, you know, if you're a teacher or if you're involved with people, you're ministering to people that are not even saved, you are there because God puts you there. And that really is the, that is really the wisdom of God. And so, um, and that, that means that as a person, as a Christian, as someone who is an ambassador for Jesus Christ, then my life is going to be different than other people. We were driving home last night with my, my wife and I, and we were just talking about there's this new um, there's the billboard that we saw on the way we were in Peddler's Village and we were in Ikea everybody had the Ikea zombie spirit I don't know what that is you ever been in Ikea and just everybody's just just trolling around and just like zombie mode we were just returning something and we saw a billboard and it's a new TV series called Lucifer have you seen that it's about this slick guy good looking guy his name is Lucifer and uh, it's a story about how he can, what he can get away with and uh, how tricky and clever he is. And, you know, a lot of people don't have discernment in their lives. They just don't. When they watch something on TV and there's just no discernment about the spirit of that. And they let that infiltrate their lives. But, you know, as, a, and as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, we are different people. We have different kind of, a different kind of thinking. My wife and I, um, a few years ago, were... Uh, at a, uh, we, were, we were in a circle of, when we were living in Baltimore, we were closer to D.C., we were within a circle of just some ambassadors and diplomats, and we had just 
we were meeting with them and doing work and actually developed some friendships with them. And they invited us to some, you know, in events from their country. And it's interesting to note that whenever you talk to an ambassador, he's very conscious of the way he's speaking and presenting himself because he's representing his country. He's representing the culture of his country. He's representing the history of his country. He's representing the highlights of his country. And he's very careful about who he's talking to and what kind of agenda that they have. Because as an ambassador, you are responsible to properly represent your country or you lose your job. Uh, in Christianity, it's a little different. We are ambassadors. We don't lose our job. As an ambassador of Jesus Christ, we represent a huge, amazing, mighty God. We represent a God that's bigger than our little issues that we're having in our life. You know, as in, in a church, a small church like ours, you know, sometimes we can get wrapped up in little things that just get so frustrating. <laughs> you know, details, little things. You know, uh, the in our church, one of the classic things that we, we've been dealing with is the bulletin. <laughs> Different sizes, you know. Just how are we going to get this right? And sometimes, like, you know, just yeah, I get, can get wrapped, all wrapped up in it and be like, okay, the bullets. And, and God just has to say, you know, hey, the mission of the church is a little bit bigger than the way the bulletin looks. I think that that's important because as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, we represent a very mighty God who is more powerful than what's going on in our life. We could be like that Pastor Ed there who had ALS praying for healing, praying for recovery. And God says, I want to do something bigger, Pastor Ed, in your life. I'm not going to cure you, but I'm going to heal you. I'm going to make you holistically whole in God, and your ministry is going to take on a whole nother focus and more powerful way than you could have ever been if I had not healed you. And so when our faith and hope is based on goals and programs alone and not on the omnipotent, uh, omnipotent nature of God, God has to lead us sometimes to disappointment. Sometimes God has to lead us to disappointment because we are in control. And in some cases, people, when they don't feel like they're in control, sometimes we'll just walk away. You know, okay, I'm not in control. Well, I'm just going to walk away and I'm not going to be involved with this. And this is, you know, why do people do that? Why do people leave their families if they can't make their family work? Or why do they leave their jobs? Or, you know, maybe God tells you to leave your job. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, confuse you. But sometimes if we don't, are not in control with our goals and programs, we're just going to walk away. And that's just not God's mind because God can sometimes orchestrate things that kind of destroys our hope. And... Uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it's a tree of life. And I think that sometimes our hopes and our dreams could actually just be like torn right up right in front of us. And we could just be so disappointed at what happens. And we could actually be like, God, why did you allow this to happen? Uh, we have a neighbor, um, a previous neighbor, my wife and I, and some of you know her and her husband, uh, they just have had this year so many family members that went home to be with the Lord. And then last night I had heard on Facebook that actually a dear friend of hers actually passed away as well. And she wrote on Facebook, she goes, I don't know. She says, it's hard for me to trust that God has a bigger purpose for this. But um, I'm, I'm just trusting God. And as I went to sleep, I was thinking about 
as a kid, do you remember times as a kid just getting thrown in the car and driving somewhere and not knowing where you're going? And you're just not knowing when you're going to get there. And there's no GPS to tell you what's going on as a kid. And, you know, dad's not answering your questions when you're asking, dad, where are we going? When are we going to get there? It's kind of like that sometimes with the plan of God, that we are sometimes in a place where we don't know where God is taking us. And that is because... If God was to take us, then we would not need to exercise faith in our daily life. And sometimes our hope can get crushed. And this is not really spiritual hope. These are just natural hopes. Our spiritual hope is never going to be crushed in 2016. Uh, Sometimes our natural goals, our natural programs, our natural hopes, they're going to be very much challenged. And it's going to actually cause us to feel maybe sick in our motivation. Uh, A... A, uh, a, a sick heart means a lack of motivation, a lack of the ability to believe, to have any kind of faith. And I just, wanna, I just want to talk about where does really big faith come from. It really comes from this, God. Big faith doesn't begin with us. It begins with a big God. In a lot of cir- Christian circles today, you're going to hear talk about having more faith and faith that can move the mountains and faith that can heal you and faith can that can get you that brand new Mercedes or brand new Jaguar or faith that can get you this whatever. And actually some people could actually tell you, and I don't know if anyone has ever told you this, but they actually may say to you, you are where you're at because you don't have enough faith. Well, that is so anti-God and so anti-biblical. Big faith doesn't begin with us. As a matter of fact, you and I in our flesh have zero faith. And I think that's important to realize that in our flesh, we have no capacity to trust God. Let's just start there. Let's just start there with faith, building faith. Is that when you look at yourself and you find yourself faithless, don't be surprised because that's where we are at in our flesh. We have absolutely no capacity to trust God. And when we're in that place, We need to look at God in the Bible, and as we do that, the the bigger the mighty God that we see in the Bible, the more the capacity of our faith is going to grow. If if you're struggling with faith for this next year because of what happened last year and because of the trends of last year and the, the seemingly unmovable trends that have been in your life for maybe 20 or 30 years, and you say, you know what? 2016 is going to be no different. Can I tell you that you need to, you and I need to look and start in the Bible. Go through the book of the, go through the Gospels. Last night, uh, yesterday morning, we were with the guys, some of the guys just eating a breakfast at Perkins, and we were talking about this. Sometimes I go through the Gospels and just read the Gospels like I'm reading a book. You know, I don't try to get too intense in studying. I just read it like I'm reading a book. And what a faith builder that is. You know, that's the difference between faith and hope. Hope is something that, um, faith is something that begins when we see, when we hear something about the nature of God. Like the woman that had that disease, she was uh, not allowed in public because it was this, this gross disease that she had. And then when she, and she had never met Jesus, but when she had heard about him, her faith began to grow. Faith comes by hearing in Hebrews chapter 10. And then hope comes when we see God do something or when we see God do something in somebody else's life. We can see hope. And that is, you know, when God works in someone's life. 
we can see the hope. But when we put faith in something else other than God, the result is always going to be disappointment. And I just want to say that there are people that struggle with a crisis in their faith. I talked to a young guy and they said, I'm having a, I'm having a faith crisis. And it was actually a Polish guy and he said, I'm having a faith crisis. And we have a crisis of faith when there's three things that are happening in our life. Number one, we put our faith in ourself. And the result is going to be little faith and failing faith. You ever meet somebody who's got their faith in themselves? And they just like, you know, I can do this. I can do this. And it's like it's not happening in their life. And you, just, you, you tell them, look, look, you know what, buddy? You've got to put your trust in God. You're not going to. I said to a guy on the phone the other day, I said, you're not going to change this situation yourself. You're not going to change this other person. This is not going to happen. We've got to just trust God. You've got to put your trust in God. So get your faith out of yourself and, number, and put it in a, in a mighty God. Number two, faith in people. You know, if our faith is in what people are going to do, you know, that I'm following this certain person because of their winning personality, then our faith, your faith in that situation is going to be like a yo-yo. I don't know if everyone knows what a yo-yo is. That was back in the day. It was something that we played with instead of our phones. It's going to be up and down and up and down. And we're going to be emotionally up and emotionally down. And especially if that person who we're following or that has so much power in our life. You know, there are people that we cannot allow to have so much power in our life. People that we love. And sometimes when they go through things, we really got to trust God for them and be in prayer for them. Because if we are about trying to change people, then it's inconsistent and we're going to be up and down and number three faith in the system and we've all heard stories of people that have worked for decades then they get fired a few years before they're supposed to get their pension and they are they have no retirement that's the system the system has fallen it's failed the system is not going to be any different and the, the system will continually fail the only system that we can trust the only person that we can trust is God. And so in Mark chapter 11, verse 22 and verse 23, I want to look at this mountain-moving faith. Jesus answered, to them, answered them and said to them, Have faith in God. I love the book of Mark because it was written to the Roman, the Roman audience. The Romans were a, had a Western mindset. They were no-nonsense, action-based people. Uh, they didn't want a lot of explanation. They just wanted to see action. And I think that's very much the way our, our, our Western culture is, is, that we are all about action. And Jesus says very simply, have faith in God. Just trust God. And he said in verse 23, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Let's stop there for a second. What is this verse saying? Mountains in the Bible, and this is something that I want you to remember. Mountains in the Bible always speak of a kingdom or a government. Mountains in the Bible always speak of either a kingdom or a government. Mountains do not represent in the Bible situations. It does not represent people. Mountains do not represent problems in our lives or situations or even our needs. And so... We're, and I, I have several verses I just want to when we look at this verse from this perspective whoever says uh, for assuredly I say to you whoever says to this 
kingdom or this government, uh, not, I'm not talking about our political government, but talking about an, an invisible spiritual government be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. This verse takes on a whole other meaning. Exodus 19, verse 20, Sinai, where the law was given, was the new government, was the new government of the law of Moses. Psalm 48, verse 2, Mount Zion was the government of the body of Christ on the earth. Remember when Joshua, uh, when Caleb said in Joshua 14, 12, give me this mountain? What was he referring to? And what was in the mountain that he was referring to? It was a kingdom of giants. And he was 80 years old when he said that. How about Zechariah 4, verse 7? When that classic verse we love to quote, who are, who are you, you mighty mountain before Zerubbabel? And what mountain was that? That was a mountain that Zerubbabel was going to say grace, grace to. And you know, you and I fa- will face mountains. We're going to face kingdoms, invisible kingdoms. We're going to be facing invisible governments of, of the devil that, that work against you and I. And we have to understand that when we speak grace to the government of Satan, that is what shuts it down because grace rele- releases a mighty God. When you and I understand that it's by grace in our life, then we can, be, we can know that we're never going to fail in what, we, in what we endeavor to do. When we know that God is for us in Romans chapter 8, that God is not against us, but God loves us in Romans chapter 8. I was thinking, we were talking yesterday at the men's breakfast, that it would be so great to have some time, a program that we could help people that are struggling with addictions and call it overcomers. And use that verse in Romans 8, nay, more than, we are more than over, we are more than conquerors, more than overcomers through Christ, through him who loved us. The love of God makes us an overcomer. And lastly, Revelation 17, verse 9. Remember when the Antichrist's system is based, uh, his government is based on seven mountains? Remember that verse in 17, verse 9? And a lot of people like to point to Rome and say Rome is built on seven mountains. Well, that's not the right, it's, that's incorrect interpretation. I'm sorry, I, I don't believe that. Number one, Rome is not on seven mountains, it's built on seven hills. So a mountain and a hill are two different things in the Bible it's with this Greek word. It's talking about that the, the satanic antichrist system will be based on the, the totality of the seven world kingdoms that existed up until that point. And in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, we, we can count seven major kingdoms that, that were in world history. And some of them have passed, and there's um, two of them that are coming. And so mountains refer to a kingdom. And when we look at our life, and we look at, when we say, I have little faith, we just say grace. We just abide in the grace of God and say, you know what, God is for me. You know, whenever we fail, don't beat yourself up and don't kick yourself and don't put yourself on some religious and self-improvement program. God hates that. God would just rather us to come to him and say, God, I am a mess. My, my diapers are dirty. There's nothing I can do to change myself. God, you have to change me. Change me. And when we pray that way, God, I believe, help my unbelief, then we experience a transformational work of God in our life. And I know this is a little long, but I, I want to, I, I just, I just want to, make two, a couple points here. When we depart from the greatness of God's word and the greatness of God's grace, people become very big <laughs> to us. Our people problems become just outrageous. We're just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with this situation. Well, what's wrong with saying, I don't know what to do? 
I was talking to, I think it was Don or someone this, this week, you know, and sometimes when we just want to say, I'm throwing in the towel, we say, God, I'm throwing in the towel, but I'm throwing the towel to you. Then God can come in and, and he can heal the situation. Don't walk away from God, just walk towards God as you're walking away from the situation. When people are big, God becomes very small. When we fear people, we fear our own failure and life becomes too big and out of control when our concept of God is too small. There's a great book, and I want to give it to you for homework this week. It's a simple book, and the link to it's on our Facebook page. It's called Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips. Go to our, Facebook, our church Facebook page. You're going to find it right there, the link to it. And it's about 12 concepts that people have of God. And I want to give you those 12 concepts right now really quickly. 12 concepts that people have. Don't, feel, don't, don't, don't get impatient here. I'm going to be done in just a couple minutes. 12 concepts that people have in their life about God that makes God very, very small. And I, I, can, I can guarantee you that naturally one of our, or maybe several of our concepts are going to be in this list. Number one, resident policeman. That God is a resident policeman. And that speaks of our conscience. It's always policing us. That's what, you know, sometimes I remember growing up, I'm sad to say, but I remember growing up whenever I saw a police car, I just got, you know, because I had gotten in trouble with them, I felt nervous. <laughs> that's not God. That's not God's, that's not God's nature. Number two, some people's concept of God is a punishing parent. Punishing parent number two, uh, number three, uh, that God is a grand old man that he tolerates and he's ignorant of everything. So just God tolerates everything and he's ignorant of what's going on in my life. Number four, meek and mild, meaning that God is compromising and that he has no justice. Number five, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the other direction, absolute perfection, that God demands absolute perfection. Number six, the heavenly bosom, Meaning that God is, you know, that 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 He is a that we escape to Him and that we totally neglect reality as our bills pile up and and uh, and you know and and issues go unresolved in our life and and uh, we escape into some um, uh, separate parallel reality that's that is that God does not teach us how to escape, but He teaches us how to He builds us up so we can confront our life. Number seven. God in a box, meaning he is so structured that you have to fit in. Do you know the baby boomers were kind of these kind of thinkers, my dad's generation. They were kind of people that you could belong if you believe. That was their thinking, their mentality. The baby busters, which is my generation, were people that were born in 65 and later. And their their philosophy or what they brought into the you know, through their generation was that you belong and then you believe. And the millennials, it's a whole nother story. We'll have to talk about them later. <laughs> millennials are changing our, our world right now. And by the way, most churches don't know how to minister to the millennials. <laughs> because baby boomers and baby busters don't even know how to connect with them unless you're spirit-filled and thinking of God. Number eight, managing director. That God, is only in a, that God is only an organizer. That he's so administrative that I've just administrated out of the church. Number nine, second-hand, second-hand God. That I don't know God firsthand. That God is only what other people have said about God. Number ten, perennial grievance. 
meaning that I trusted God and he let me down. I trusted God one time and he let me down. Number 11, the pale Galilean, negative and insensitive. And number 12, you know, and that's, you know, you see some ministers today, some people that are Christians, and they are just like, man, they just like, they're spiritually anemic. And you're like, man, I don't want to have anything to do with what he believes. And number 12, projected image, meaning that we project our own image about who God is, that God must be just like me. And so I want to close with this. The question is, who do men say that I am? In Matthew 16, verses 17 through 19. Who do men say that I am? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. Peter lived with a spiritual revelation of who God was, and it came through the Holy Spirit. It did not come through any of those 12 concepts that we just talked about. And the question for us today is to fill in that blank on that we have Jesus is what? How would we fill in that blank? And only, and you know, we're going to try to put words in there, but we're not going to be able to put just one word. God has to fill that blank in our life through the Holy Spirit. And the result of Peter having a spiritual revelation of who Christ is resulted in just amazing verse in Matthew 16. Jesus says to Peter, Thou art Peter, giving him a new name. And Peter was given the keys to the kingdom. And I just want to finish that, finish our service with this. That this is the way we want to live in 2016. Is we want to live in spiritual revelation of who God is. And let God deliver us from our little world of struggles and pain and issues. And deliver us to a place where we can begin to see the bigger picture. Not live in my little picture of my ailment, like the ALS that Pastor had. But you and I are, you know, I was listening to him speak, you know, with that shaky voice, weak voice. He couldn't pronounce some of his words. And I thought, that is powerful. That's power right there. That's spiritual power right there. More than just a Hollywood screaming preacher. That is power right there. That is transformational right there. That is the power of God. And when we begin to uh, put our trust in a life-changing, powerful God of the Bible, sometimes we got to read more about the power of God in the Bible to build ourselves up in our faith. That is what, how we face our new year. This new year, I just for our church, I just want to give you a few things that are on my heart. Number Three things. Number one... Um, I want our church together together with us grow in the discipleship kind of Christianity. That's that's my desire in my as a pastor that we would continue to to develop in a discipleship. Number 2, I want to grow in our vision for the lost. You know, I want to be more concerned about what's happening with people outside of these doors. And number 3, building up our team in different departments so that the body can be refreshed and grow. You know, like with our Sunday school, our music department, different departments. I want to just be able to grow in supporting them. I think that God's going to do a few things, and this is the prophetic part or maybe the faith goal, faith vision part. And one of these things I can't talk about right now because it's so out of the box. We just I want to think about it some more and pray about it more. Uh, the second thing is, I think that we're going to have more, a more defined profile in the community. I think people are going to get to know us more. 
and Rose has given me a list of just communities, uh, community events that we can get involved with. I think people are going to get to know us better. Number, number three, with the momentum that we have from last year and with the new people, I think there's going to be a new increase in inward and outward ministry. I think we're going to see more ministry happening inwardly and outwardly. Uh, number five, I think, I believe that God's going to be bringing more families to join our church from Baltimore and from other places. I think we're going to see new families coming in. Um, we're going to see more. We're going to see our men, our leaders, as well as some new men, grow and get established in their callers and their calling as leaders. Um, and that's really something that's pa- that I'm very passionate about is just seeing leaders get developed. I'm dis- disappointed. I'm like I am. I am happy when I can see a guy fit into his calling and get in his calling and just function. Some leaders get insecure. I'm happy about that, and I, you know, I don't have any problem working myself out of a job. That's my vision. I want to see the men in our church and the women in our church grow in their in their leadership goal in their leadership capabilities that God has for them. And that's going to make me happy. <laughs> I'm going to be happy if this if you succeed with God in your calling this year. I'm going to be a happy person. Um, number I don't know what number one. We're going to see continued growth in numbers. I think our church is going to grow in numbers and in spiritual spiritually. I think God's going to heal some people this year from things that we've been struggling with for years. I think God's going to heal us from things that we've been struggling with for years. And I think God's going to be prospering your life and your family and your job and your business. And I think that this is going to be an amazing year. It could be tough in some ways, but if you hang in there, it's going to be a year of promotion and godly prosperity. With With the authority in our lives to speak to an invisible kingdom, and to say, mountain, be cast into the sea, and not doubt in our hearts. Amen? Okay, let's close in prayer.